Welcome to Experience This, the podcast that celebrates remarkable customer experiences and inspires you to stand out from the competition by wowing your customers. Each episode, we bring you a healthy dose of inspiring stories, funny interactions, and practical takeaways. Marketing and customer experience thought leader, Dan Gingas shares the mic with customer retention and employee experience expert, Joey Coleman, helping you to get people talking about your business. So get ready because it's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss the rapidly changing digital landscape an airline that's trying to make sitting in the middle seat fun, and an in-depth look at what makes the Starbucks experience so remarkable. Birdie, squishy, and sippy. Oh, my. We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? If your head is spinning with all of the changes going on in the digital landscape recently, you are not alone. Just in the past few weeks, Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook, announced abysmal earnings and watched its stock plummet 23% in a week. The stock has lost 70% on the year. Elon Musk took over Twitter fired a bunch of top executives, then hinted he was going to start charging for the blue verified checkmark, even though 82% of nearly 2 million votes casts on Twitter said they wouldn't pay even a nickel for such a privilege. (laughs) In November, the FCC commissioner said the U.S. should ban TikTok over security concerns. Bitcoin, the best-known cryptocurrency, which traded at 68,000 in November, now trades for a bit more than 20,000, a 70% drop. One major concern out of many for investors, the liquidity of crypto. Rally.io, a cryptocurrency site dedicated to supporting content creators and creating community, essentially closed up shop, leaving investors and creators, among them a number of our friends, Joey, scrambling to cash out at pennies on the dollar. And in September, daily trading volume of NFTs or non-fungible tokens on one platform was down 99% from its May high. What the heck is going on here? I don't know about you, Joey, but I think we have a problem here of chasing shiny object syndrome. Are you familiar with this disease? Squirrel? Uh, Yeah, I definitely am familiar with this disease. You know, it involves that mad rush of companies and individuals to be among the first to stake their claim on new platforms. Sometimes it works. Other times, not so much. Indeed, as adopters of Blab, Meerkat, Yik Yak, Vine, and Google Plus might attest. And whatever happened to Clubhouse? (laughs) I don't know if anyone's on Clubhouse anymore. And I'm, I'm not certainly being not. Critical. I mean, of the of the folks, and if you're a regular Clubhouse user or listener, you know, I don't mean to disparage, but yeah, I think I think this is a big problem. That how do you know where to put your time, your effort, and your energies? Absolutely. I mean, there is a lot that's going right and a lot that's going wrong these days. And it's probably time, I would say, for companies to kind of take a beat and reevaluate where they want to put their time and resources. 
Now, of the examples I shared earlier, three of them are social media related and three of them are part of what's called Web3, which according to a site called Tech Target, is, quote, about decentralized ownership and control and putting the web in the hands of its users and the community, unquote. So we're going to try to do our best to dissect both of those things. Now, on the social front, for a while, it seemed like everyone was just copying everyone else. When live streaming was all the rage, every major platform introduced it. Now sites like LinkedIn are purportedly devaluing their own LinkedIn Live in the algorithm that determines which posts a user sees. Today, it seems to be about racing towards something, anything that's new. Now, Twitter established itself as the place to find breaking news. But as bots and other disinformation strategies took over, it became far less trustworthy. Most of what I would call thought leadership from influencers has now moved to LinkedIn. Now, Elon Musk has grand plans to shake things up, charging money for previously free services, possibly bringing back Vine, which is the short little 10-second video platform, and trying to figure out a content moderation strategy that encourages quote-unquote free speech, but hasn't as of yet answered questions about hate speech, spam, or blatant falsehoods. Many people, including me, Joey, as I announce here on the podcast, are strongly considering abandoning Twitter. Dun, dun, dun. Ten seasons later, folks, and it looks like all of my jokes about Twitter might finally have paid off. I love it. No, you know, here's the thing, and I, and I say this respectfully because there's a lot of folks who have worked really hard at Twitter to build it into what it is. A lot of employees who have lost their jobs in recent weeks with Elon Musk takeover of the company. The reality is, though, I think we're starting to address many of the organizations, many of the companies, maybe many of the offerings in our society where the value that we were actually receiving didn't match the amount of time we were investing or the amount of money that was being invested. And I think anytime, you know, I remember as a kid growing up hearing about this thing where I was like, Dad, I saw this thing that if you send $100 to this guy and then you get 10 of your friends to send $100 to you and then your friends each get their friends to send $100 to them, you can make a million dollars. So will you give me $1,000 so I can send it to the people on this channel? <laughs> sure, well, Joey. Yeah, here you go. It's one of those things where if it sounds too good to be true, it is. And here Here's where I think we need to do a better job of distinguishing the experience, the value, the impact from the financial piece of the puzzle. Twitter being, you know, being a verified user on Twitter is a perfect example. You know, the statistic you shared. Millions and millions of people have said, we won't pay a penny for this. But suddenly we think they're going to go to paying $8 a month for this when it's previously been free. Now, I'm not saying you can't transition from free to paid. But what is the value I get when you do that? If Elon Musk was leading into this conversation saying, hey, we're going to get rid of the bots. We're going to get rid of some of the unbelievable trolling and attacks that happen on Twitter because everyone's going to be a verified account. And we're going to attach identity to the individual that is posting or tweeting. That would be pretty revolutionary. Now, a lot of folks wouldn't like that, 
But folks like me might say, okay, I might be more interested in the platform if what you were actually verifying was that it was a human. And I'd be willing to pay for that type of verification if the standard was applied to everyone. Yeah. And there were a lot of comments on this survey to that end saying, you know, that verification should be for everybody and that'll make the platform a whole lot better for everyone. But I also think the other stuff that's going on, you know, I mean, TikTok, obviously, all the rage with the kids. And and as with most platforms, what happens is the kids find out about it first, then the advertisers come in and ruin it, and then the kids go somewhere else. And I think that's some of what's happening right here as well, although there are genuine security concerns because TikTok is owned by a Chinese company and the U.S. relationship with China right now is a little bit rocky. And so there's all these things, you know, who, who thought that we had to get into geopolitics when talking about social media, but yet here it is. I think with Meta, I think this was the most interesting one because although nobody can argue that Mark Zuckerberg has been absolutely brilliant, I think the change of the company name was a mistake. I think that Facebook was such a well-known brand, one of the most well-known brands on the planet, that to change its name made no sense to me. It'd be like Coca-Cola saying, you know, tomorrow, we want to be known as Clay instead of Coca-Cola. <laughs> People would be like, uh, what? Like, really? And so I think that the bigger question here, uh, and if I can throw back uh, to season one, episode 31. Ooh, is whether- blow the dust off that one. That was a yeah. long time ago. Well, the question is whether the world is ready for the metaverse. And, you know, this was famously depicted in Ernest Cline's post-apocalyptic novel, Ready Player One, which is what we talked about in season one, episode 31, and which is not that dissimilar from what Zuckerberg is trying to build with Meta. Are you ready to jump in? You know, I have jumped in. So we have an Oculus and I had the chance to experiment with an Oculus years ago at Singularity University before it was publicly available. And it was a crazy interesting experience. And then when they came out, actually got one for the house. What I will say is this, it's a fun gimmick right now. It's fun to do. You can get in and play a game. I've also attended a few presentations in the metaverse. And those were a lot more, to be frank, for me at least, felt a lot more disconcerting. Like after you've been in for a while, you you know, you start to feel the weight of the headset. Your I found my vision started to feel a little bit of wonkiness and my balance and almost like vertigo feeling wonky. So I think it's one of those things where will it eventually get to something that's interesting and more in alignment with what Klein talks about in Ready Player One? I think there's better than a 50% chance that that will happen. Will that happen in the next two years, as I think uh, Zuckerberg and et al. hope that it will do, or in the next five years? Probably not. I think we've got a bigger leap. Now, that being said, the problem is we're living in an exponential era. And humans have linear brains. What I mean by that is our brains evolved slowly over thousands and thousands of years. And now we're being compared to technology improvements that are advancing, you know, doubling according to Moore's law, you know, on a much accelerated cycle. And so I think it's difficult for us to imagine just how much will change in the last, in the next five years. But I think we're a ways off yet on the metaverse. Yeah, I agree. Agree with you. And I am not a buyer here. I'm, I'm a wait and see on the metaverse. 
doesn't matter to me that I'm not the first one there setting up shop, you know, creating the experience maker metaverse experience. Because as with many things, I look at where are my customers? And that's what companies should be doing too, right? And yeah, some of them are experimenting, but being first doesn't always mean that, you know, you win. It just means that you're, you're the first one to figure out uh, what works and what doesn't. Now, this Web3 stuff, I got to admit, is a little bit over my head. So I am no expert here. But as we're talking about things like cryptocurrency and NFTs, the thing that's scary to me is that there are entire ecosystems that are just dying and investments dropping 70, 80, 90%. Now, this rally platform, which actually I was on because I wanted to support some of the creators that, as I mentioned, are, are friends of ours. They're fellow speakers and authors and I wanted to support them. You know, luckily, I only put about $1,000 in uh, spread across the various creators. Uh, I cashed out the other day at $51. So wow. uh, this is a... Complete- if I may, let's pause. And I say this from a place of respect for you, Dan. Like, your investment went from $1,000 to $51. Now, because of the way you were invested and because of socioeconomic standing, you were, I'm sure, not happy about that. But that doesn't mean that your kids don't go to college or you don't get to eat next week or you can't pay your mortgage. But there are people on these platforms that that is the result. That yes, it, because it, it isn't what... their experimental money or a business investment or something they're just doing to support a friend at a, at a lower dollar amount. It's life savings. It's years and years of earnings. It's their vision of the future that is vanishing overnight. And it's because of what you said before. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. And I think that's been the promise of cryptocurrency, of these NFTs. I mean, and for folks that don't know what an NFT is, it's it's basically a digital image of something that somehow has some singularity to it. So it, it, it's a one of a kind. And these things are selling. Some of them are selling for millions of dollars. And I don't even know what you do with it once you have it, other than keep it and hope that you know some dummy buys it from you for more than you bought it for. but Well, I think when it's artwork, you display it in your metaverse house that you have built uh, that people can put on their uh, Oculus headset and come visit. Outstanding. I, again, <laughs> I'm not sure this is what I need. And look, while some people have surely made a lot of money in this space, of presuming, of course, they were smart enough to sell when everything was trading high, which is another problem because people, uh, even in the stock market, have very poor sell disciplines. It's easy to buy low, but it's a lot harder to sell high. I feel like this is something that is probably more worth waiting until the dust settles to determine for your company if this is going to be a game changer or even something that you have to be involved in at all. Well, here's what I'll say. I think the best companies in the world approach these new technologies and these new opportunities with a healthy dose of skepticism, but a significant level of curiosity. What I mean by that is, I think if you are a customer experience professional, you should be interested in what's happening with customer experience in the metaverse. You should be interested in what's happening with NFTs and cryptocurrency and these different elements of Web3. That being said, I don't think you should bet the farm on them. 
I don't think you should start up and spin up entire divisions of your company just yet to prepare for a big real estate boom in the metaverse when most people at best are dabbling right now. So I, I do think you want to pay attention to these things. I do think you want to be curious about them, but be careful just how far you dive in as well. I totally agree. And in times of uncertainty, which we're in right now, I always find it helpful to lean on the things that we can be certain about. Listening to our customers, meeting them where they are, and understanding that the first one to the finish line isn't always the winner. There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. Back in Season 4, Episode 72, we talked about an article from Fast Company which described a new seating arrangement that had just received FAA approval. Yeah, if I remember correctly, Dan, wasn't that the one where the middle seat is kind of back a few inches so that people don't have to fight over the armrest as much? That is correct. Although I personally haven't witnessed that configuration in the wild yet. Have you? I have not. And when I do, trust me, I will take photos of it. And maybe even that would compel me to give the middle seat a try, but I highly doubt it. Well, it seems that Virgin Australia is trying a different tactic. Don't rearrange the seating at all, but offer an incentive to choose the dreaded middle seat. So our CX Press this week comes from CNN Travel, and it's titled, Airline Launches Lottery to Entice More Passengers to Sit in the Middle Seat. The article was written by Maggie Hayufu Wong. According to the article, quote, Virgin Australia has just launched the Middle Seat Lottery, a special raffle worth about 230000 Australian dollars, or the equivalent of 145000 American dollars. And it's only open to those who sit in the middle seat, voluntarily or involuntarily, during a flight, unquote. In a press release, Virgin Australia Group CEO Jane Herdlicka notes that, quote, Virgin Australia is an airline that's doing things differently. And we are having a lot of fun coming up with exciting innovations to make every part of the travel experience more wonderful, unquote. Each week, a lucky winner will be drawn via lottery to win a different prize. And I got to admit, there are some cool prizes here. There's a full-day helicopter pub crawl. There's a two-night vacation that includes flights, hotel, and a bungee jump. There's flights and tickets to the Australian Football League Grand Final. And there is Virgin's Platinum Velocity Frequent Flyer status for a full year, along with 1 million extra velocity points. Now, Joey, you and I are both frequent flyers, so I thought this might be a fun discussion. I'm going to hand it over to you to start because I am dying to know what you think of this idea. Okay, so I got to say, I'm intrigued by this. And I'm intrigued by this for a couple of reasons. Number one, 
Everyone who's ever been on an airplane knows that the middle seat experience is the worst experience on the plane. The middle seat back row is actually the very worst experience on the airplane, right? But middle seat kind of in any row, not so great. I love the creativity. I'm not at all surprised. Virgin as a brand and Virgin Australia in particular is an airline. Very creative, very interesting group. And these are some substantive prizes. This isn't like, hey, you get a free drink if you sit in the metal seat. I mean, helicopter pub crawl, uh, you know, going to the football league grand finals, the, the bungee jump. And by the way, if you've ever been to Australia or New Zealand, I swear, and I say this with love for both of those places, it's like you can bungee jump off of almost every hotel or tall building in New Zealand and many of the ones in Australia. So this just kind of speaks to the, the ethos of the culture in both of those places. The question I guess I would have, and I wasn't able... I did did a quick Google search while you were talking to me and to see if I could figure this out. I wonder how many flights per day are happening, meaning how... What is your likelihood of winning every week? Is it, you know, there's... 50,000 people in a middle seat and your likelihood is winning one in 50,000 or is that 500,000 or 5 million? So I'd be curious as to you know your likelihood of winning. And that also makes me say, would there be a benefit to giving a prize to everyone who chooses the middle seat, even if it's a lesser prize and letting it elevate to the surprise and delight moment of the sweepstakes? Yeah, I think that's what I would recommend. I love the creativity of this. I hesitate a little bit on the sweepstakes format because the the end result is going to be that the vast majority of people that sit in the middle seat are still going to get nothing and have a miserable experience. And so, yeah, a couple people may get a nice prize, but whether it's 50,000 or 5 million, I'm not even sure that matters, right? I don't feel like I'm going to be the winner of that. And so I actually would like to see them do something that's a little bit of a surprise and delight for people sitting in the middle seat. It could be a free drink, an extra snack. It could be, I don't know, bringing them a rose, something where it's just that it's surprising and thanking them for essentially dealing with an experience that isn't as good. I don't know another potential option. I don't know whether any airline uh, has tried either making the middle seat uh, a lower cost seat because the experience is worse or perhaps offering bonus miles or some other incentive to choose the, the seat, but then everybody gets it, I think would be to me a little bit better. But I absolutely love that they're playing around with this. And as you say, it's a a brand that does like to try fun things. And I'm sure when you do that, some of the things work, some of the things don't. It reminds me of the Savannah Bananas, right? They try all of these great things with baseball games and not every one of them has worked out, but the vast majority have. And so I think they're definitely on the right track. I I agree with you, Dan. There are two general thoughts about this. Number one, I think it'd be really interesting to explore something happening on every flight that is a remarkable experience for a middle seat person. So for example, I could see a scenario, and these things don't have to cost money. It could be something where someone from the middle seat gets to do the announcement, right? Uh, Now, maybe not the safety announcement, but gets to make an announcement of like, hey, we've now reached altitude. You can take off your seatbelts. Like, you know, make them almost a little mini celebrity on the flight. That might create something fun. But I also think it's important to think about what aspect of your business listeners is the middle seat. Like every business has an aspect of their business 
that feels like the middle seat to your customers. It could be, you know, if you have a restaurant, you know, the table that's by the door. So it's cold when people are coming in and out in the winter, or, you know, it's loud if it's by the kitchen. Or if you're in a business where there's a certain type of product that you sell that you know just by the very nature of the product, it's not going to be the greatest experience. What can you do to take those aspects of your business that are the equivalent of the middle seat and create a little surprise and delight about them, create a little bit of shock and awe, create a little bit of a remarkableness that makes people get excited? Yeah. I, what I really like is when you can create an experience that is 180 degrees from what people expect. And people expect the middle seat to be a terrible experience. So if you can do anything to reverse that expectation. And what I would do here is I would gather everybody in a conference room and I would say, okay, here's our goal. We want to make it so that customers want to choose the middle seat. Now, how crazy is that? That sounds like the most ridiculous idea. Who would ever want to choose the middle seat? But if that's the question you start with and you empower your employees to throw out, you know, no bad ideas... I think you're going to come up with some really cool things. And I think Virgin Australia is well on the way. So best of luck to any of our listeners. If you are flying on Virgin Australia and you decide to brave the middle seat, I hope that you win. I think the helicopter pub crawl sounds like the best prize. Best of luck to you. Are you tired of not knowing the answer to customer questions? Do you wish everyone on your customer support team had a high level of subject matter expertise so they could respond to customers efficiently and accurately? If so, maybe it's time for you to swarm. Okay, it's my first day on the phone here at Acme. I hope I'm ready, but there are still a lot of things I don't know about our billing process, which is usually why people call. Ah, well, I guess I'll just give it my best. You've reached Acme Cable Corp. This is Seth. May I please ask for your name and account number? Uh, sure. This is Harvey McIntosh, and my account number is 2323175. I'm calling today because I see a charge on my most recent statement for $11.74. It says it's for Regspo. Do you have any idea what that means? Well, to be honest, Mr. McIntosh, that's not one I'm familiar with. Let me call up your bill and see what I can find. Of course my first call is a billing question. They warned us about these in training. I better swarm. Okay, I see the bill in question and this line item for Regspo. I have no idea what that means, but someone in this swarm surely does. Oh, Regspo is an abbreviation for the regional sports fee. It covers the costs of providing the regional sports networks in the area that customers can access on our various sports channels. Why have a confusing abbreviation for Regspo instead of just saying regional sports fee? Oh, well, at least I can answer the customer's question. Mr. McIntosh, I figured it out. Ah, uh, great. What's the charge for? What does it mean? Regspo is an abbreviation for regional sports fee. It covers the costs of providing the regional sports networks. Swarming is a framework that allows your support team to draw on the collective knowledge of your entire enterprise. Think of it like a beehive. When an agent initiates a swarm, Coveo's AI-powered software instantly identifies the best subject matter experts in your organization. These experts, 
think of them as bees, gather in a dedicated Slack channel to workshop a solution in real time. Like a group of bees, they collaborate to produce the best honey. Once they've identified the best answer, the bees go back to their other tasks, leaving behind not only the golden answer you seek, but a honeycomb-like framework that makes answering questions like this easier and faster next time. Swarming is a great way to get new agents up to speed quickly while providing them with the information they need to answer customer questions on day one. To find the sweet solutions your customer service team needs, visit get.coveo.com slash experience this. That's G-E-T dot C-O-V-E-O dot com slash experience this, where you can access an ebook with an overview of how swarming works and schedule a demo to see how swarming can help your team deliver better customer and agent experiences. We spend hours and hours nose deep in books. We believe that everything you read influences the experiences you create. So we're happy to answer our favorite question. What are you reading? For you astute listeners that have been listening to our podcast for a while, you know that we have two different segments dedicated to books. One of them is called a book report, and that usually is a review of a brand new customer experience related book. And then we have what are you reading, which is generally anything else that we might be reading. Now, I didn't want to confuse people here because I chose a customer experience book. But this one was actually published in 2007. It's a 15-year-old book, and I wanted to see whether it's still held true today. So what am I reading? I am reading The Starbucks Experience, Five Principles for Turning Ordinary into Extraordinary by Joseph A. McKelly, who has also written in-depth books on Ritz-Carlton, Zappos, and the UCLA Health System. Oh, this is, a, this is an oldie but a goodie. I know this book. I read this back in the day, Dan. Well, fantastic. Uh, and hey, what's hopefully what's old is new again. Now, I picked the book because of my love for the Starbucks brand and also my love for Howard Schultz, who I think is just absolutely brilliant. I've read his books, and I think that so much of Starbucks' success is based on the fact that everything focuses on the experience. Also, I like this concept of turning ordinary into extraordinary because it's something that I talk about in my keynotes and my book. It's Extraordinary is the E in my wiser methodology for creating remarkable experiences. And I also thought it was really cool that McKelly got this incredible insider access to everyone at Starbucks, from top leadership down to individual baristas at stores around the world. So the aforementioned five principles, I wanted to walk through them. And I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. They absolutely are still true 15 years later. And, and that's what was so impressive to me about this book. Principle number one at Starbucks is make it your own. Now, this involves two things. First of all, it's very simple instructions to partners, which is what Starbucks calls their employees, that set some basic guidelines, but really just allow them to be themselves. So these include be welcoming, be genuine, be considerate, be knowledgeable, and be involved. Now, Make It Your Own also applies to customers. After all, there are billions of combinations of drinks that you can order at Starbucks. 
We all know about putting the names on the cup. This is not just so the barista doesn't forget your name. It is because everybody loves to see their name on the side of a cup. And so make it your own is really about the employees being able to do their thing and, and be human and the customers to be able to have their own unique experience at Starbucks. Dan, I know we've got a lot of things that we can potentially talk about from this great book, but I want to really double down on that one because I think so many businesses, even though this concept was being written about and uh, promoted very publicly 15 years ago, so many businesses miss the mark on this one. If you are going to go to the trouble of choosing who to hire, why not let them have a little bit of freedom and discretion in how they serve your customers and how they do their jobs. Now, let's be clear. I understand the benefit of systems. I understand the benefit of processes. Starbucks would not have grown to the size and scale that it has globally as a brand if they didn't have systems and processes. But I also know that they go out of their way to hire the kind of people that they can trust to create remarkable experiences, to give them the freedom to be genuine, to be considerate, to be knowledgeable, to be involved so that they can combine the very best of themselves in order to be welcoming. Well said, sir. Which gets us to our second principle, which is my favorite, which is everything matters. And to quote the book, a competitive advantage occurs when everyone in a company appreciates that nothing is trivial and that customers notice everything. Now, we talked a lot about this in the last episode where I said that customer experience doesn't have to be a multi-million dollar, multi-year transformational project. It's actually just a series of little things. And if I've learned anything in my time in customer experience, it is that when you are observant and you pay attention to things, you see so much opportunity. And that's exactly what Everything Matters is saying. I mean, Ray Kroc was famously known for cleaning up the debris in the parking lot of the first McDonald's stores because it was important to him that they looked nice and appealing to people. And these are the kinds of things that matter, right? We don't want to walk into a restaurant or a coffee shop that's dirty. We don't want to walk into a restaurant or coffee shop with rude employees. We want to be able to enjoy the experience. And that includes every aspect. I know we've had a lot of jokes over the years and 10 years on this podcast about bathrooms, but those matter too, right? Because no one wants to walk into a filthy bathroom. So every piece of your business, no matter how trivial, matters. And it also presents an opportunity to create an experience where maybe one doesn't exist yet. Principle number three is surprise and delight. And I was a little bit hesitant on this one because this is a much overused term in marketing, but I liked where it went. Basically, the idea is, is that surprise and delight experiences can be structured or unstructured. An example of a structured would be that Starbucks decided to celebrate National Ice Cream Day, even though they don't sell ice cream. They brought in millions of cups of ice cream to give away for free to people that came into the store that day. They also celebrated Tax Day, which in the U.S. is April 15th, by offering free cups of Calm Tea. That's a brand name of one of the teas that they uh, offer. And I love the idea of Calm Tea because nobody's calm on Tax Day. And so it really smart, structured surprise and delight. But then there's the unstructured one. And there was a great story about a man who was really surprised at 
what he called the barista's intimate greeting. So instead of just good morning, the greeting was, how was your weekend? And then when the guy answered and said that he was visiting from out of town, the barista said, well, where are you from? Now, this happened in a store in Seattle. And what resulted was a conversation between the barista, the customer, and another customer about what to do and see in Seattle. And so this guy walks out feeling like, wow, I just came in for a cup of coffee and I walked out with recommendations on how to spend my time in Seattle. And that's a really nice surprise and delight. Well, I think it's also an example, Dan, of how you can create remarkable interactions just by being curious, right? Instead of having the same rote, hey, thanks for coming in today, comment. Instead of doing that by saying, how was your weekend or where are you from? It shows a level of curiosity that in and of itself becomes a moment of surprise and delight for the typical customer. And while this was certainly true when the book came out 15 years ago, I would posit it's even more true today. We're often shocked when it seems like the person we're dealing with in a transactional or a retail uh, interaction seems to care about who we are as a human being. So again, I think this is something where to speak to your comment earlier, this does not require millions of dollars. This just requires a little bit of intentionality and a little bit of effort. And you can really move the dial on the overall customer experience. Yeah, I would argue it's free. It costs nothing. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, so the takeaway here, I want to read another quote from the book because I think that the author really summarized the takeaway well. He says, quote, rather than encouraging trite customer service sayings like have a nice day or other scripted communications, successful leaders help staff look for genuine opportunities to do the positively unexpected. Whether it's in the service of customers, coworkers, or suppliers, the willingness to take a genuine interest in another person is often among the most pleasant surprises of all. Okay, the fourth principle in the book is embrace resistance. Now, Starbucks leadership understands that unhappy customers represent opportunities to improve the experience. And there's a great quote from Greg Johnson, who was formerly the Starbucks senior vice president of emerging business. And he said, while we don't always get the opportunity to have a second chance with a customer, occasionally people will let us know how we could have made their experiences better. When that gift is given, we need to seize it. By examining an individual customer satisfaction, we have a chance to not only regain the trust of that customer, but to more broadly fix a process that is likely affecting other customers as well. It's like Greg read my first book, Winning at Social Customer Care. It's amazing. Uh, absolutely agree with that statement. Finally, the fifth principle is leave your mark. Now, Starbucks has always been a company that has really been focused on uh, social awareness, environmental awareness. And so leaving your mark involves uh, focusing on the environment, focusing on the local community of each store, on the lives of customers, partners, and even coffee growers. And they quoted um, some research studies that found two interesting facts. The first is that people prefer to do business with and work for socially conscious companies. And employee morale is three times higher in firms that are actively involved in the community versus their less involved counterparts. And again, if you've walked into a Starbucks anytime recently, you see that almost every interior design is, is different and it's made to look like the surrounding community. 
All right, one final point because you and I like to notice the little things, Joey. The book cover is supposed to look like a Starbucks coffee cup. It's white with a brown sleeve. On the back cover, there is a warning that is eerily familiar if you've ever enjoyed a Starbucks coffee. It says, careful, the book you're about to read is extremely hot. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. You're the best listener ever. And since you listened to the whole show, yay you. We're curious, was there a specific part of this episode that you enjoyed the most? If so, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with a coworker, a friend, or someone that just loves listening to podcasts. And while you're in the sharing mood, if you felt inclined to jump over to iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts and write us a review, we would so appreciate it. And when you do, don't forget to let us know as we might have a little surprise for you. Thanks again for your time and we'll see you next week for more Experience This.